From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Department of Veterans Affairs has two milestones for its new electronic health record system. VA Secretary Robert Wilkie says it'll replace the VISTA system with the new Cerner system at the Mann Grandstaff VA Medical Center in Washington State in October. FedScoop reports the agency will launch the system's new scheduling module at its central Ohio health care system by the end of this month. The Defense Department will build a repository of shareable code to manage the clouds inside the agency. DOD Chief Information Officer Dana Deasy says the repository will let parts of the department reuse code other parts have already created. Breaking Defense reports, Deasy says one long-term impact of the repository will be securing the department's commercial virtual remote environment for information impact levels higher than it's using now. The Space Force has a nominee to become the official number two officer. President Trump nominated the current vice commander of the force, Lieutenant General David Thompson, to be the vice chief of space operations. Space News reports if the Senate confirms him, he'll, be, he'll serve as the vice chief under chief of space operations General Jay Raymond. Every agency in government has a passing grade on the latest Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act scorecard. Carol Harris of the Government Accountability Office told you on Government Matters yesterday how that scorecard could change going forward. David Pounder is Director of Strategic Engagement and Partnerships at MITRE. He's former Director of IT Issues at the Government Accountability Office and an architect of the FATARA scorecard. He testified at that hearing last week. Dave, welcome. It's good to see you again. What was the message overall that you wanted to convey to the, hear to the uh, committee at the hearing? Well, two things really, Francis. One is I think it was an opportunity to really recognize the great progress that has occurred over the five plus years since the TAR passed in 10 scorecards. And there's a lot of credit to go around, around the horn here. Uh, but the other thing too is the committee was very interested in how that scorecard uh, could evolve. And uh, you know, I had five recommendations that were very simple in my uh, statement. One was enhancing the uh, cyber area and then I proposed four new areas, many of which some of the existing categories could be folded into. All right, uh, let's review them quickly, uh, adding an infrastructure category, an IT budgeting and funding category, an IT workforce category, and a mission modernization category. For any of those that, that the committee would add, how do you measure those things, Dave? How do you decide what the criteria are for the grades that the agencies are gonna get? So Francis, great question. So a couple things here. One is you need to, with any scorecard, you need to focus on the right areas, have a way to simply measure it with the right data, and then ultimately you want that to result in the right outcome. So for instance, like on the infrastructure category, uh, you know, we've done a lot with data centers over the years, and there's almost $5 billion in savings. But if we went to like an EIS-type focus on the scorecard, you know, there's a way you could say, hey, if you haven't utilized that GSA contract vehicle, you get a failing grade. If you've uh, leveraged it, you get a C. You know, if you've levered it to a certain capacity of your network, you can then get A's and B's, right? And the whole, the whole purpose there is to get folks to utilize that contract vehicle more so that we have more modern and secure 
uh, networks in place, Francis. So, you know, that's one way you want to do that. And I could kind of go through all those four. And, you know, since I've been through this, it's really about to being real simplistic to drive the right behaviors, but having the right data. And that's really where it's going to be most difficult. And I thought Maria Rote's willingness to work with the committee was really good news when they started talking about that. And it's really not a big surprise. We all kind of know Maria and we, we kind of expect that. And, and I think there's some good things that could happen if it does evolve with, you know, Maria, you know, driving the ship there a bit. Well, and it strikes me as tremendously useful just the fact that Maria is a known entity and she knows what she's talking about. She's so familiar and versed in all of these issues from the number of positions that she's held in the government. She doesn't have to learn. There's no learning curve here for somebody like her. What's the value of that to somebody like Jerry Conley and somebody like Carol Harris, your successor at GAO, to have a, a, a new partner in that seat that doesn't have to come up to speed? It's extremely valuable, Francis. And really, too, when you look at, you know, she's been there, done that, and you look at the areas that are most in need of mission modern uh, of modernization. Uh, you know, if you look at the president's management agenda, this IT modernization category. You know, what's the hard stuff? It's mission modernization. You know, SBA with some of the loan processing systems. You know, you had mentioned prior to this uh, the EHR initiative at VA, IRS tax processing. Those are the big things that we probably need to focus on and really leverage all the momentum and progress that we've made, you know, where we've enhanced CIO authorities, do we have a ways to go still to strengthen that as business partners and strengthening their relationship with CFOs? Sure, but let's not lose the momentum and let's really try to tackle those big mission critical things. And that's where Maria could really help with that focus. Uh, I wanna talk about the trend lines in the time that we have left, Dave. I mentioned at the beginning, Nobody's flunking anymore. Uh, the next Gov report on this says only one agency got an A plus. USAID maintained its A grade. The Education Department dropped from A uh, down to B. Does that stuff matter, or does it just matter that the general trend, the evolution seems to be from bad to better to good? It's clearly the general trend. I think the the specifics and the minutia of you know some of the things on the scorecard, whether it's an A or a B, it might not really matter that much. Uh, you know, I think what's really important is what the scorecard proved is that if you focus on something and measure it over time, you're going to see some progress. And that's where this whole evolution discussion that you know Chairman Conley and Ranking Member Heiss engaged in. Uh, is really important because there are these other areas that we need that type of measurement and focus, you know, to drive, uh, you know, better, to better serve citizens and to advance mission at the agencies. A minute left, Dave. Uh, what will you watch moving forward? How will you kind of measure the evolution of the scorecard as time goes on? So I, I think a couple things, Francis. I would love to see a mission modernization focus just because it's very difficult. Uh, you know, customer satisfaction, Richard Spires brought that up. Uh, you know, we really need to continue to enhance that relationship with CIOs and the business unit leads. You know, I thought Laverne Council's testimony too added a lot where she talked about a cultural measurement. She's absolutely right. The bureaucracies and culture are difficult to break down continue to enhance those CIO authorities and really tackle the hard stuff. That's going to be really important, I think, as we take the next step on, you know, what we call IT modernization. And, uh, you know, and, and again, whether it's 
scorecards or future legislation or additional OMB policy or future PMAs. You know, these are the areas that we're going to need to focus on. And collectively, I think the legislative and executive branch working together, that's a winning formula, and hopefully we can continue that. Dave Pounder, thanks very much as always. Thank you, Francis. Up next, planning for a potential national cyber director. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the authorities and powers that new job could have. Welcome back. The House's version of the National Defense Authorization Act would create a new national cyber director role. The director would have budget certification authority and advise the president on cybersecurity matters. Suzanne Spaulding, senior advisor of Homeland Security, the Center for Strategic and International Studies. She's former undersecretary for the National Protection and Programs Directorate, now CISA, at the Department of Homeland Security. Suzanne, welcome. Thanks for coming on. It's great to have you back. You took some questions at, at this hearing that I have been asking on this program, and it's great to have an opportunity to discuss them with you. One of them was, what would the new authorities uh, that the Cyber Solarium Commission would like to see this cyber director have? Yeah, Francis, thanks uh, for having me back. It's great to be back, and particularly to talk about this important subject. You know, I, I should start by noting that the commission did not start with thinking about the organization uh, to accomplish the cyber strategy, but started instead with what does that strategy look like, right? So we started, in fact, our first several meetings, we're talking about the concept of deterrence. And then we talked a lot about norms. We talked a lot about our uh, cyber ecosystem and how we preserve the continuity of the economy and how do we strengthen resilience and, our, and ultimately our ability where needed to use our military power and in doing and having those conversations, it became very clear that we we really need to have a robust, widespread, whole of nation response to the cyber threat and cyber risks and the cyber challenge. And uh, and so that very quickly, when we did then think about how do we organize to, to accomplish this, make it clear that you could never pull all the activities into one cyber department. It is inevitably a distributed activity and therefore requires strong coordination of this broad-based effort. So that's a key authority for this national cyber director, the ability to convene the interagency, to drive the development of a cohesive strategy, whole of nation strategy, and ensure its implementation, uh, and not just ensure its implementation by beating on people, but by making sure that you have equipped departments and agencies with what they need to get the uh, mission done and that you are able to resolve conflicts uh, uh, as they arise. When the National Security Advisor, former now uh, National Security Advisor John Bolton, eliminated the White House Cybersecurity Advisor job, the justification he gave at the time was we already have people that are doing these jobs other places in government. This response role would be potentially larger, more people underneath this person, bigger budget. Why is it necessary? Why aren't the people that are doing those jobs, according to the former National Security Advisor, why isn't that the right construct for providing this information to the president? Yeah, well, again, let me start by saying, I think <clears throat> each department and agency should have primary responsibility for accomplishing their mission. 
Uh, and the national cyber director should only do those things that only a national cyber director can do and not reach in and grab uh, you know, mission space from departments and agencies. There's a particular concern about how this person relates to CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, which is the what the organization that I led at DHS is now called, uh, because they have an important interagency and coordination role, right? So the National Cyber Director needs to make sure that they are empowering CISA to accomplish that role. But at the end of the day, it is very hard for any one department or agency to kind of you know, direct other departments and agencies. It's been tried over the years and it's never been particularly successful. Really, this is a, this is a task for the White House. And because it is such a, uh, an enormous challenge and task involving every department and agency and the private sector and uh, um, state and local and territorial and tribal governments, a handful of people at the White House is not going to accomplish what needs to be done. The line of delineation in the past has always been pretty clear between civilian and military. Should this person, if this job is created, also have some oversight and coordination role with Cyber Command, with DISA, with the Chief Information Officer in the Pentagon, or should that line of delineation kind of stay the way that it's historically been, Suzanne? So I think it's what, what we have said is that this national cyber director should be focused on defensive activities. Now that will sometimes include some of those entities that you've just listed because they also have defensive uh, operational activity. Uh, but, but again, this person is not to replace uh, the secretary of defense or the DNI uh, or any of the other cabinet secretaries for that matter but to coordinate those activities. So while this person is focused on defensive activities, defensive planning and operations, they have to be uh, at the table for conversations that might happen around offensive activity, for example, because those must be coordinated. And, and so there can't be a bright line that says the national cyber director only does defensive uh, activities. They have to be part of the uh, coordination, and that means they have to be in the loop. They have to have access to that information, sensitive as it may be. Suzanne, we have about 30 seconds left. Is what you'll watch as simple as, does Congress create this position or not, or is there more to it than that? Uh, at the end of the day, we need Congress to create this position. It's a Senate-confirmed uh, position. It would be appointed by the President, but confirmed by the Senate. And, and we've had some significant success so far uh, in Congress with respect to the solarium recommendations. We've got a, almost a dozen that are in both the House and Senate Defense Authorization Act. We've got a, another dozen or so in the House and a handful more in the Senate. And as they go to conference, we're hoping to get most of those through. This is one that will require the support of Congress uh, in the National Defense Authorization Act. And uh, frankly, the White House is not wild about it. The White House never likes to be told how to organize themselves. Uh, and so it'll be a bit of a heavy lift, but we have it uh, in the House bill and a placeholder in the Senate. So we're, we're hoping to get this through. Suzanne, thanks very much for coming on. It's great to have you back. Thank you. Great to be back. Up next, a potentially big boost for the Technology Modernization Fund. Straight ahead on Government Matters, modernizing tech and government during the pandemic. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. Be right back.
Welcome back. The Technology Modernization Fund could get a billion-dollar boost in the next coronavirus response bill. The House's HEROES Act includes money for the fund, and Senate Democrats are pushing for a similar investment in the other chamber's stimulus bill. Matt Cornelius is executive director of the Alliance for Digital Innovation. He's former senior advisor for technology and cybersecurity policy to the federal chief information officer. Matt, welcome. It's great to see you. You told the House uh, Government Operations Subcommittee recently that one of the big problems agencies are up against are technical debt and antiquated operating models. Now, it struck me that neither one of those things is an IT problem per se. What can IT people do to address those issues in government and what does Congress need to do to help agencies address those problems? Well, thanks for having me, Francis. Uh, and I agree that not all uh, technology problems in government are inherently IT problems. Uh, I mentioned that in my opening statement. A lot of it is cultural problems. Uh, a lot of it are sort of digital workflow problems, meaning that agencies uh, haven't updated their operating models to take advantage of the newest and best commercial capabilities. And because of that, uh, and the way the sort of budgeting and appropriations process works, um, agencies have years and years and years of not necessarily the best and most thoughtful uh, spending, but instead are just constantly keeping old systems or old workflows uh, going just because that's comfortable and the agencies are used to that. So I think on the agency side, um, they should be much more forceful and thoughtful uh, in laying out their modernization plans, their application rationalization plans, their data plans, and aggressively communicating that to OMB and to Congress uh, and, and making the case for why they need, whether it's more resources or more flexibility in their, in their current uh, sort of funding models to enable them to achieve the goals and the outcomes they'd like to see happen. One of the recommendations that you make is a big boost, as I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, to the Technology Modernization Fund. Is a billion dollars enough? I mean, a billion dollars sounds like a lot of money even in Washington, but given the technical debt that we're talking about here, maybe it isn't the, the right amount of money even to get a start. Well, it's certainly a lot better than the $150 million that's been appropriated over the past three uh, budget and appropriation cycles. I think a billion dollars is a great floor. It's certainly not a ceiling for the TMF. Uh, and it's not just so much having the money at the TMF, and especially when I was back at OMB and worked to stand up the model, um, we always knew that uh, to make the TMF truly successful, you were going to have to make it both uh, an agency-specific model where agencies are presenting plans to the Technology Modernization Board that meet the criteria that they laid out, uh, and are being invested and overseen in a way that allows them to be successful. Uh, but the operating model is going to need to change, especially if there's a billion dollars or more that goes into the TMF, where OMB and GSA are going to have to work across the federal enterprise and take all the lessons that they are learning now and have learned over the past few months with the COVID-19 response and start making some of these enterprise-wide investments in digital collaboration tools, uh, network upgrades, identity, credentialing, and access management issues. Um, there, there's so much out there where um, these sort of top-down investments from OMB and GSA with that whole-of-government view can really help accelerate a lot of the good work that has happened in the response and recovery efforts. Another recommendation that you make is to give OMB and the agencies more flexibility about handing that money out. At what point does that take away the oversight that Congress always wants to have, Matt? I, I think there's uh, a good trade that can be made there. And I think uh, giving agencies more flexibility with their dollars and coupling that with stronger and better oversight from Congress and OMB 
uh, is a winning formula. And, and the Alliance for Digital Innovation said as much when, when the 2021 budget came out back in February, uh, we wrote letters to the six appropriations committees, uh, to the chair and ranking members in both the House and the Senate, uh, to give the agencies that requested either new IT working capital funds or changes to their current working capital or, or IT investment uh, opportunities uh, to enable one, more flexibility at the agency level, but also to sort of imbue those funds with the oversight that would be required under the MGT Act. So you really get the best of both worlds. I think agencies have been very open and forthcoming on the needs that they have and the, the challenges that they're currently facing. And it really is gonna take a two-way street. And that goes back to that aggressive communication plan that I think agencies have to have. And I, our hope is that whether it's now in a relief bill in future appropriations, that um, agencies will be able to get the flexibility they need to spend this money effectively and smartly like any commercial business would, uh, while still maintaining a level of oversight and sort of outcomes and performance-based management that Congress and OMB would like to see. Thanks very much. Thank you, Francis. I'm Sharice Hanner. You can now keep your finger to the pulse of all things that matter to the business of government anytime, anywhere. Subscribe to the Government Matters Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, or simply ask your digital assistant to play the Government Matters Podcast. For a quick fix of government news, follow us at Twitter at GovMattersTV. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.